chapter 3. You are the now of God. After this brief look at the word of God, we cannot just say that young people are the future of our world. They are its present. Even now, they are helping to enrich it. Young people are no longer children. They are at a time of life when they begin to assume a number of responsibilities, sharing alongside adults in the growth of the family, society and the church. Yet the times are changing, leading us to ask, what are today's young people really like? What is going on in their lives? In positive terms, the Synod recognised that the members of the church do not always take the approach of Jesus. Rather than listening to young people attentively, all too often there is a tendency to provide pre-packaged answers and ready-made solutions without allowing their real questions to emerge and facing the challenges they pose. Yet once the church sets aside narrow preconceptions and listens carefully to the young, this empathy enriches her for it allows young people to make their own contribution to the community, helping it to appreciate new sensitivities and to consider new questions. We adults can often be tempted to list all the problems and failings of today's young people. Perhaps some will find it praiseworthy that we seem so expert in discerning difficulties and dangers. But what would be the result of such an attitude? Greater distance, less closeness less mutual assistance. Anyone called to be a parent, pastor or guide to young people must have the far-sightedness to appreciate the little flame that continues to burn, the fragile reed that is shaken but not broken, the ability to discern pathways where others only see walls, to recognise potential where others only see peril. That is how God the Father sees things. He knows how to cherish and nurture the seeds of goodness sown in the hearts of the young. Each young person's heart should thus be considered holy ground, a bearer of seeds of divine life, before which we must take off our shoes in order to draw near and enter more deeply into the mystery. Many ways of being young. We might attempt to draw a picture of young people today. But first, I would echo the Synod Fathers, who noted that the makeup of the Synod brought out the presence and contribution of many different regions of the world, and highlighted the beauty of our being a universal church. In a context of growing globalisation, the Synod Fathers wanted the many differences of contexts and cultures, even within individual countries, to be duly emphasised. The worlds of today's youth are so many that in some countries one tends to speak of young people in the plural. The age group considered by the Synod, 16 to 29 years, does not represent a homogenous category, but is composed of distinct groups, each with its own life experience. From a demographic standpoint too, some countries have many young people, whereas others have a very low birth rate. A further differentiating factor is historical. There are countries and continents of ancient Christian tradition whose culture is indelibly marked by a memory that cannot be lightly dismissed, while other countries and continents are characterised by other religious traditions where Christianity is a minority presence and at times a recent one. In other places still, Christian communities and young people who belong to them experience persecution, 
there is also a need to distinguish young people with access to the growing opportunities offered by globalisation from those who live on the fringes of society or in rural areas and find themselves excluded or discarded. There are many more differences which it would be difficult to examine here. In any event, I see no need for a detailed analysis of today's young people, their lives and their experiences. At the same time, since I do not want to neglect that reality, I will briefly summarise some contributions received before the Synod and others I heard in the course of our meetings. Some experiences of young people. Youth is not something to be analysed in the abstract. Indeed, youth does not exist. There exists only young people, each with the reality of his or her own life. In today's rapidly changing world, many of those lives are exposed to suffering. The Synod Fathers acknowledged with sorrow living in a world that many in young people today live in war zones and experience violence in countless different forms kidnapping, extortion, organised crime, human trafficking, slavery, and sexual exploitation wartime rape, and so forth. Other young people, because of their faith, struggle to find their place in society and endure various kinds of persecution, even murder. Many young people, whether by force or lack of alternatives, live by committing crimes and acts of violence. Child soldiers, armed criminal gangs, drug trafficking, terrorism and so on. This violence destroys many young lives. Abuse and addictions, together with violence and wrongdoing, are some of the reasons that send young people to prison, with a higher incidence in certain ethnic and social groups. Many young people are taken by ideologies, used and exploited as cannon fodder, or a strike force to destroy, terrify or ridicule others. Worse yet, many of them end up as individualists, hostile and distrustful of others. In this way... They become an easy target for the brutal and destructive strategies of political groups or economic powers. Even more numerous in the world are young people who suffer forms of marginalisation and social exclusion for religious, ethnic or economic reasons. Let us not forget the difficult situation of adolescents and young people who become pregnant, the scourge of abortion, the spread of HIV various forms of addiction, drug, gambling, pornography and so forth, and the plight of street children without homes, families or economic resources. In the case of women, these situations are doubly painful and difficult. As a church, may we never fail to weep before these tragedies of our young. May we never become inert to them, for anyone incapable of tears cannot be a mother. We want to weep so that society itself can be more of a mother, so that in place of killing, it can learn to give birth, to become a promise of life. We weep when we think of all those young people who have already lost their lives due to poverty and violence, and we ask society to learn to be a caring mother. None of this pain goes away. It stays with us because the harsh reality can no longer be concealed.
The worst thing we can do is adopt that worldly spirit whose solution is simply to anaesthetise young people with other messages, with other distractions, with trivial pursuits. Perhaps those of us who have a reasonably comfortable life don't know how to weep. Some realities in life are only seen with eyes cleansed by tears. I would like each of you to ask yourself this question. Can I weep? Can I weep when I see a child who is starving, on drugs or on the street, homeless, abandoned, mistreated or exploited as a slave by society? Or is my weeping only the self-centred whining of those who cry because they want something else? Try to learn to weep for all those young people less fortunate than yourselves. Weeping is also an expression of mercy and compassion. Yet in that if sorrowful do not plea, come, the words of the Jesus make the themselves heard for the sufferings of others. Once you can weep, then you will be able to help others from the heart. At times, the hurt felt by some young people is heart-rending, a pain too deep for words. They can only tell God how much they are suffering and how hard it is for them to keep going, since they no longer believe in anyone. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some young men and women were able to move forward because they heard that divine promise. May all young people who are suffering feel the closeness of a Christian community that can reflect those words by its actions, its embrace and its concrete help. It is true that people in power offer some assistance, but often it comes at a high price. In many poor countries, economic aid provided by some richer countries or international agencies is usually tied to the acceptance of Western views of sexuality, marriage, life or social justice. This ideological colonisation is especially harmful to the young. We also see how a certain kind of advertising teaches young people to be perpetually dissatisfied and contributes to the throwaway culture in which young people themselves end up being discarded. Our present-day culture exploits the image of the young. Beauty is associated with a youthful appearance, cosmetic treatments that hide the traces of time. Young bodies are constantly advertised as a means of selling products. The ideal of beauty is youth. But we need to realise that this has very little to do with young people. It only means that adults want to snatch youth for themselves, not that they respect, love and care for young people. Some young people find family traditions oppressive and they flee from them under the impulse of a globalised culture that at times leaves them without points of reference. In other parts of the world, even more than generational conflict between young people and adults, there is mutual estrangement Sometimes adults fail, or do not even try to hand on the basic values of life, or they try to imitate young people, thus inverting the relationship between generations. The relationship between young people and adults thus risk remaining on the effective level, leaving its educational and cultural aspects untouched. What harm this does to young people, even though some do not notice it, Young people themselves have remarked how enormously difficult this makes the transmission of faith. 
in some countries without freedom of speech, where young people are prevented from attending church. Desires, hurts and longings. Young people are aware that the body and sexuality have an essential importance for their lives and for their process of growing an identity. Yet in a world that constantly exalts sexuality, maintaining a healthy relationship with one's body and a serene, effective life is not easy. For this and other reasons, sexual morality often tends to be a source of incomprehension and alienation from the church, inasmuch as she is viewed as a place of judgment and condemnation. Nonetheless, young people also express an explicit desire to discuss questions concerning the difference between male and female identity, reciprocity between men and women, and homosexuality. In our times, advances in the sciences and in biomedical technologies have powerfully influenced perceptions about the body, leading to the idea that it is open to unlimited modification. The capacity to intervene in DNA, the possibility of inserting artificial elements into organisms, cyborgs, and the development of the neurosciences represent a great resource but at the same time, they raise serious anthropological and ethical questions. They can make us forget that life is a gift and that we are creatures with innate limits, open to exploitation by those who wield technological power. Moreover, in some youth circles, there is a growing fascination with risk-taking behaviour as a means of self-exploration, seeking powerful emotions and gaining attention. These realities to which young generations are exposed are an obstacle to their serene growth in maturity. Young people also experience setbacks, disappointments and profoundly painful memories. Often they feel the hurt of past failures, frustrated desires, experiences of discrimination and injustice, of feeling unloved and unaccepted. Then too, there are moral wounds, the burdens of past errors, a sense of guilt for having made mistakes. Jesus makes his presence felt amid these crosses borne by young people. He offers them his friendship, his consolation and his healing companionship. The church wants to be his instrument on this path to interior healing and peace of heart. In some young people, we can see a desire for God, albeit still vague and far from knowledge of the God of Revelation, in others, we can glimpse an ideal of human fraternity, which is no small thing. Many have a genuine desire to develop their talents in order to offer something to our world. In some, we see a special artistic sensitivity or a yearning for harmony with nature. In others, perhaps, a great need to communicate. In many of them, we encounter a deep desire to live life differently. In all of this, we can find real starting points, inner resources open to a word of incentive, wisdom and encouragement. The Synod dealt in particular with three areas of utmost importance. Here I would like to quote its conclusions, while recognising that they call for greater analysis and the development of a more adequate and effective ability to respond. The Digital Environment the digital environment is characteristic of the contemporary world. Broad swathes of humanity are immersed in it in an ordinary and continuous manner. 
It is no longer merely a question of using instruments of communication, but of living in a highly digitalized culture that has had a profound impact on ideas of time and space, on our self-understanding, our understanding of others and the world, and our ability to communicate, learn, be informed and enter into relationship with others. An approach to reality that privileges images over listening and reading has influenced the way people learn and the development of their critical sense. The web and social networks have created a new way to communicate and bond. They are a public square where the young spend much of their time and meet one another easily, even though not all have equal access to it, particularly in some regions of the world. They provide an extraordinary opportunity for dialogue, encounter and exchange between persons, as well as access to information and knowledge. Moreover, the digital world is one of social and political engagement and active citizenship, and it can facilitate the circulation of independent information, providing effective protection for the most vulnerable and publicising violations of their rights. In many countries, internet and social networks already represent a firmly established forum for reaching and involving young people, not least in pastoral initiatives and activities. Yet to understand this phenomenon as a whole, we need to realise that, like every human reality, it has its share of limitations and deficiencies. It is not healthy to confuse communication with mere virtual contact. Indeed, The digital environment is also one of loneliness, manipulation, exploitation and violence, even to the extreme case of the dark web. Digital media can expose people to the risk of addiction, isolation and gradual loss of contact with concrete reality, blocking the development of authentic interpersonal relationships. New forms of violence are spreading through social media, for example, cyberbullying. The internet is also a channel for spreading pornography and the exploitation of persons for sexual purposes or through gambling. It should not be forgotten that there are huge economic interests operating in the digital world, capable of exercising forms of control as subtle as they are invasive, creating mechanisms for the manipulation of consciences and of the democratic process. The way many platforms work often ends up favouring encounter between persons who think alike, shielding them from debate. These closed circuits facilitate the spread of fake news and false information, fomenting prejudice and hate. The proliferation of fake news is the expression of a culture that has lost its sense of truth and bends the facts to suit particular interests. The reputation of individuals is put in jeopardy through summary trials conducted online. The church and her pastors are not exempt from this phenomenon. A document prepared on the eve of the Synod by 300 young people worldwide pointed out that online relationships can become inhuman. Digital spaces blind us to the vulnerability of another human being and prevent us from our own self-reflection. Problems like pornography distort a young person's perception of human sexuality. Technology used in this way creates a delusional parallel reality that ignores human dignity. For many people, immersion in the virtual world has brought about a kind of digital migration. 
involving withdrawal from their families and their cultural and religious values and entrance into a world of loneliness and of self-invention, with the result that they feel rootless even while remaining physically in one place. The fresh and exuberant lives of young people who want to affirm their personality today confront a new challenge, that of interacting with a real and virtual world that they enter alone as if setting foot on an undiscovered global continent. Young people today are the first to have to affect the synthesis between what is personal, what is distinctive to their respective cultures, and what is global. This means they must find ways to pass from virtual contact to good and healthy communication. Migrants as an epitome of our time. How can we fail to think of all those young people affected by movements of migration? Migration, considered globally, is a structural phenomenon and not a passing emergency. It may occur within one country or between different countries. The Church's concern is focused especially on those fleeing from war, violence, political or religious persecution, from natural disasters including those caused by climate change and from extreme poverty. Many of them are young. In general, they are seeking opportunities for themselves and their families. They dream of a better future and they want to create the conditions for achieving it. Migrants remind us of a basic aspect of our faith, that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Other migrants are attracted by Western culture, sometimes with unrealistic expectations that expose them to grave disappointments, unscrupulous traffickers, Frequently linked to drug cartels or arms cartels exploit the weakness of migrants, who too often experience violence, trafficking, psychological and physical abuse and untold sufferings on their journey. Nor must we overlook the particular vulnerability of migrants who are unaccompanied minors or the situation of those compelled to spend many years in refugee camps or of those who remain trapped for a long time in transit countries, without being able to pursue a course of studies or to use their talents. In some host countries, migration causes fear and alarm, often fomented and exploited for political ends. This can lead to a xenophobic mentality, as people close in on themselves, and this needs to be addressed decisively. Young migrants experience separation from their place of origin, and often a cultural and religious uprooting as well. Fragmentation is also felt by the communities they leave behind, which lose their most vigorous and enterprising elements, and by families, especially when one or both of the parents migrates, leaving the children in the country of origin. The church has an important role as a point of reference for the young members of these divided families. However, the stories of migrants are also stories of encounter between individuals and between cultures. For the communities and societies to which they come, migrants bring an opportunity for enrichment and the integral human development of all. Initiatives of welcome involving the church have an important role from this perspective. They can bring new life to the communities capable of undertaking them. Given the varied backgrounds of the Synod Fathers, the discussion of migrants benefited from a great variety of approaches, particularly from countries of departure and countries of arrival. 
Grave concern was also expressed by churches whose members feel forced to escape war and persecution, and by others who see in these forced migrations a threat to their survival. The very fact that a church can embrace all these varied perspectives allows her to play a prophetic role in society with regard to the issue of migration. In a special way, I urge young people not to play into the hands of those who would set them against other young people newly arrived in their countries and who would encourage them to view the latter as a threat and not possessed of the same inalienable dignity as every other human being. Ending every form of abuse Recently, urgent appeals have been made for us to hear the cry of the victims of different kinds of abuse perpetrated by some bishops, priests, religious and laypersons. These sins cause their victims suffering that can last a lifetime and that no repentance can remedy. This phenomenon is widespread in society and it also affects the church and represents a serious obstacle to her mission. It is true that the scourge of the sexual abuse of minors is, and has historically been, a widespread phenomenon in all cultures and societies, especially within families and in various institutions. Its extent has become known primarily thanks to changes in public opinion. Even so, this problem, while it is universal and gravely affects our societies as a whole, is in no way less monstrous when it takes place within the church. Indeed, in people's justified anger, the church sees the reflection of the wrath of God betrayed and insulted. The Synod reaffirms the firm commitment made to adopting rigorous preventative measures intended to avoid the recurrence of these crimes starting with the selection and formation of those whom tasks of responsibility and education will be entrusted. At the same time, the determination to apply the actions and sanctions that are so necessary must be reiterated. And all this, with the grace of Christ, there can be no turning back. Abuse exists in various forms. The abuse of power, the abuse of conscience, sexual and financial abuse. Clearly, the ways of exercising authority that make all this possible have to be eradicated, and the irresponsibility and lack of transparency with which so many cases have been handled have to be challenged. The desire to dominate, lack of dialogue and transparency, forms of double life, spiritual emptiness, as well as psychological weakness, are the terrain on which corruption thrives. Clericalism is a constant temptation on the part of priests who see the ministry they have received as a power to be exercised rather than a free and generous service to be offered. It makes us think that we belong to a group that has all the answers and no longer needs to listen or has anything to learn. Doubtless, such clericalism can make consecrated persons lose respect for the sacred and inalienable worth of each person and of his or her freedom. Together with the Synod Fathers, I wish to thank with gratitude and affection those who had the courage to report the evil they experienced. They helped the Church to acknowledge what happened and the need to respond decisively. 
particular gratitude is also due for the generous commitment of countless lay persons, priests, consecrated men and women, and bishops who daily devote themselves with integrity and dedication to the service of the young. Their efforts are like a great forest that quietly grows. Many of the young people present at the Synod also expressed gratitude to those who have accompanied them, and they emphasised the great need for adults who can serve as points of reference. Thank God. Those who committed these horrible crimes are not the majority of priests who carry out their ministry with fidelity and generosity. I ask young people to let themselves be inspired by this vast majority. And if you see a priest at risk because he has lost the joy of his ministry or seeks effective compensation or is taking the wrong path, remind him of his commitment to God and his people. Remind him of the gospel and urge him to hold his course. In this way, you will contribute greatly to something fundamental, preventing these atrocities from being repeated. This dark cloud also challenges all young people who love Jesus Christ and his church. They can be a source of great healing if they employ their great capacity to bring about renewal, to urge and demand consistent witness, to keep dreaming and coming up with new ideas. Nor is this the only sin of the members of the church. Her long history is not without its shadows. Our sins are before the eyes of everyone. They appear all too clearly in the lines on the age-old face of the church, our mother and teacher. For 2,000 years, she has advanced on her pilgrim way, sharing the joys and the hopes, the grief and the anguish of all humanity. She has made this journey as she is, without cosmetic surgery of any kind. She is not afraid to reveal the sins of her members, which some try at times to hide, before the burning light of the word of the gospel, which cleanses and purifies. Nor does she stop reciting each day in shame, Have mercy on me, Lord, in your kindness. My sin is always before me. Still, let us never forget that we must not abandon our mother when she is wounded, but stand beside her, so that she can summon up all her strength and all her ability to begin ever anew. In the midst of this tragedy, which rightly pains us, the Lord Jesus, who never abandons his church, offers her the strength and the means to set out on a new path. This dark moment, not without the valuable help of the young, can truly be an opportunity for a reform of epoch-making significance, opening us to a new Pentecost and inaugurating a new stage of purification and change capable of renewing the church's youth. Young people will be all the more helpful if they feel fully part of the holy and patient faithful people of God, born up and enlivened by the Holy Spirit for it will be precisely this holy people of God to liberate us from the plague of clericalism, which is the fertile ground for all these disgraces. A way out. In this chapter, 
I have taken time to look at the reality of young people in today's Some world. other aspects will be dealt with in the following chapters. As I have said, I do not claim to be exhaustive in this analysis. I encourage communities to examine respectfully and seriously the situation of their young people in order to find the most fitting ways of providing them with pastoral care. At the same time, I do not want to end this chapter without addressing some words to each of you. I remind you of the good news we received as a gift on the morning of the resurrection, that in all the dark or painful situations that we mentioned, there is a way out. For example, it is true that the digital world can expose you to the risk of self-absorption, isolation and empty pleasure. But don't forget that there are young people even there who show creativity and even genius. That was the case with the young servant of God, Carlo Acutis. Carlo was well aware that the whole apparatus of communications, advertising and social networking can be used to lull us, to make us addicted to consumerism and buying the latest things on the market, obsessed with our free time, caught up in negativity. Yet he knew how to use the new communication technology to transmit the gospel, to communicate values and beauty. Carlo didn't fall into the trap. He saw that many young people, wanting to be different, really ended up being like everyone else, running after whatever the powerful set before them with the mechanisms of consumerism and distraction. In this way, they do not bring forth the gifts the Lord has given them. They do not offer the world those unique personal talents that God has given to each one of us. As a result, Carlo said, everyone is born as an original, but many end up dying as photocopies. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let them rob you of hope and joy or drug you into becoming a slave to their interests. Dare to be more, because who you are is more important than any possession. What good are possessions or appearances? You can become what God your Creator knows you are, if only you realise that you are called to something greater. Ask the help of the Holy Spirit and confidently aim for the great goal of holiness. In this way, you will not be a photocopy. You will be fully yourself. If this is to happen, you need to realise one basic truth. Being young is not only about pursuing fleeting pleasures and superficial achievements. If the years of your youth are to serve their purpose in life, they must be a time of generous commitment, wholehearted dedication and sacrifices that are difficult but ultimately fruitful. As the great poet put it, If to regain what I regained, I first had to lose what I lost. If to achieve what I achieved, I had to endure what I endured. If to be in love now, first I had to be hurt. I consider what I suffered well suffered. I consider what I wept for as well wept for. Because in the end, I came to see that we do not really enjoy what we enjoyed unless we have suffered for it. For in the end I realised that the blossoms on the tree draw life from what lies buried beneath.
If you are young in years, but feel weak, weary or disillusioned, ask Jesus to renew you. With him, hope never fails. You can do the same if you feel overwhelmed by vices, bad habits, selfishness or unhealthy pastimes. Jesus, brimming with life, wants to help you make your youth worthwhile. In this way, you will not deprive the world of the contribution that you alone can make, in all your uniqueness and originality. Yet let me also remind you that, when we live apart from others, it is very difficult to fight against concupiscence, the snares and temptations of the devil, and the selfishness of the world. Bombarded as we are by so many enticements, we can grow too isolated, lose our sense of reality and inner clarity, and easily succumb. This is especially the case with young people, for whenever you are united, you have marvellous strength. Whenever you are enthused about life in common, you are capable of great sacrifices for others and for the community. Isolation, on the other hand, saps our strength and exposes us to the worst evils of our time.